2: Around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show.
1: Yeah, what we need is more white people in this country, says Donald Trump. We don't need any more black people, any more brown people, or as he calls it, any more people from those shithole countries. There he is. You still think he's not a racist? Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Friday, actually. It's a uh, Friday. Friday, January 13. It's, it's January 13. What day is it? January 12, Friday, 2018. Day wrong, the date wrong. Uh, but we're here. We're here for you with all the news of the day on this Friday to uh, tell you what's going on here in Washington, D.C., the latest on the immigration battles. The latest on the vote over FISA, which got really confusing uh, at the White House yesterday. And uh, the latest on Walmart raising its minimum wage while it fired 10,000 people. Yeah, they can't get their story straight at Walmart, trying to rebuild their image the same day they are trying to tear it down. And continued pain and suffering in California At first, it was the fires, and now it is the mudslides just going from bad to worse, it seems, out there. Uh, And uh, we've got our eye on that. And Donald Trump canceling his trip to London, which was going to happen next month, and blaming it on Barack Obama. I'm just surprised he didn't blame it on Hillary Clinton, because he blames everything else on Hillary Clinton. So much to talk about this Friday Give us a call. Not give us a call. Give us a comment on Twitter, at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. We want to hear from you what you think about the news of the day. We jump right into it. But first... This is
3: the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, Fire and Fury continues to be selling out all around the country. Fire yeah, and Fury. You can't buy it. You can't find a copy. Fire and Fury is a book about the Allied bombing of Germany from 1942 to 1955. Not the Michael Wolf book. The problem is there are other books titled Fire and Fury. And people are walking into bookstores and buying them. In fact, the one that I just oh, referenced God. is written by a guy named Randall Hansen. He wrote a book called Fire and Fury, The Allied oh. Bombing of Germany from 1942 to
1: 1945." Damn, 1945. I
3: hope I ordered the right one. And so he says that his book sales are through... The roof the past couple of weeks because people are going to just buy Fire and Fury <laughs> and as you pointed out,
1: good for him. The
3: Michael Wolf book is good. sold out.
1: Yeah, right.
3: So they see this other Fire and Fury book, so they think they should just buy it, and of course it turns out it's not the right.
1: And of book. course the bookstores aren't going to say, now are you sure this? You is shouldn't a-
3: buy this book. You
1: sure this is the They're one you want?
3: stop anybody. Yeah, no. Well, <clears throat> yesterday Ford Motor Company put out a statement. This that they have confirmed a second death. In an older pickup truck that was caused by a defective airbag inflator. It was mm. pr- produced by the Takata Corporation. Mm. So they put out uh, a recall for 2,900 owners in North America to stop driving their trucks immediately until they can get replacement parts. For Again, this is an airbag inflator. Uh, they confirmed a death that happened in July of last year. Uh, that was caused in a 2006 Ford Ranger. The airbag inflator actually killed the person driving it, and another death has happened. So they are warning, saying, do not drive your vehicle if this is what you have, because mm. uh, it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. And uh, the holiday season is over, but that doesn't stop, didn't stop one Costco shopper from taking the Christmas tree back to Costco that she had bought before the holidays. Mm. She bought a Christmas tree at Costco, she uh, an artificial up, tree. Uh, no, a regular tree. A regular oh. tree. A live tree. She brought it home. She put it up. They had the <laughs> holidays. And then Costco is, of course, known for their very generous return policy. <laughs> so she went back. This is in Santa Clarita, California. She went back to Costco, took the tree back, and you know what? They took it back. Get for out. For a refund.
1: The, the needles must have been falling off it by that time. That's, uh, yeah, what was her reason for getting a refund?
3: She just didn't want it anymore. She didn't need it anymore. Christmas <laughs> <was> over. <laughs> yeah. But
1: then you put it out on the street and then they, you know. But most people do. It. People come pick it up.
3: Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep.
1: You still think Donald Trump's not a racist? (laughs) Not after yesterday. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Friday. Friday, January 12. Uh, Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. It is uh, The Bill Press Show. And here I am on a Friday. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, but you know... Got to work at least four days a week, right? Wasn't here on Monday, so I um, got guilted guilted into uh, being here on this Friday. But it's great to be with you to round out the week, look back over the big stories of the week, and talk about the big stories from yesterday as well. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. We start out in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, but we end up right there, right, sitting right alongside of you in your ear Whether you happen to be uh, watching online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, or watching us on television on the great free speech TV nationwide, coast to coast, or out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, or in Indiana. On Indiana Talks, hello, hello, hello again, and thank you for joining us. I uh, just need a couple of hours of your time before we head into the weekend. Got a great lineup of guests to, for you today. Lisa Rosenberg joining us from uh, that uh, organization called Open the Government, which is all about protecting our um, privacy in this era of uh, NSA spying on us every day. She's got the lowdown on the big FISA debate yesterday. Niall Stanage. Uh, Covers the White House for The Hill. He's actually a White House columnist, but he goes to the briefings every day. He was there with me yesterday at the White House. Uh, He'll be here as a friend of Bill for the second hour uh, to talk about all things Trump. And Elena Schneider, campaign reporter for Politico, will be in as well. Before we get to the news of the day, I just have to uh, give a little shout out to a very, very good friend, uh, Robert Siegel, all things considered, from NPR uh, last night. Big retirement party for Robert Siegel. his last day on the air. He's been there 40 years uh, at NPR, I think maybe 26 years as the co-host of that great program, afternoon program, All Things Considered. Um, Went to the the retirement party last night. It was a wonderful affair. The entire staff of NPR there and a lot of the former hosts of NPR, co-hosts like... uh, uh, Linda um, Wertheimer, uh, who, who works so many years with, uh, with Robert Siegel. Uh, and what a great person, what a great voice, what a great broadcaster, uh, and what a great journalist. Just a, a, as p- several people pointed out, he had a curiosity about everything and really dug into stories, uh, a real professional, a uh, great voice, uh, and a great presence on the air, one of those broadcasters who makes all the rest of us uh, proud. So, uh, to uh, a great man and a great career, uh, and a big hole to fill uh, at uh, NPR, um, All Things Considered. Hey, by the way, Peter, this is where you talk about a, a blast to past, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a call yesterday. You know what I'm going to? What program I'm going to do this weekend? What? The McLaughlin Group. S- excuse me. <laughs> right. They really? have brought the McLaughlin Group back. Really? Under the same name, the McLaughlin Group. Now, uh, breaking news: John McLaughlin will not be there.
3: Yeah, he's no longer with us. He
1: died a couple of years ago. But they have a new co. They have a new host. Uh, and his
3: name is not McLaughlin.
1: His name is not McLaughlin. Okay. No, I forget his name actually, but. Panelists include Pat Buchanan,
2: <laughs>
3: come on
1: Eleanor Clift, yeah. Clarence Page, yeah, and then they're rotating uh, the fourth chair. And today or this weekend, I'll be in the rotation. So,
3: so it's the same old McLaughlin group. Just it's the same old McLaughlin without McLaughlin
1: without McLaughlin, and apparently they got same name,
3: yeah,
1: same music, same graphics, same, and set. same format. Three issues and then predictions at the end. Issue number one. Yeah,
3: we're out. Right. Jeez, man.
1: I'm telling you, flashback. Yeah. So um, who says you can't go back in time? Yeah,
3: that's right. <laughs> there is life after death, <laughs> I'm going to climb
1: in the time machine this weekend. <laughs> uh, by the way, I have no idea when it airs, but uh, you can find out in your, uh, in your local uh, uh, listings. Uh, somewhere, probably, I think it was on CBS and PBS. I'm not sure where it airs. McLaughlin Group this weekend. Uh, Check it out. Oh yes. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Yesterday, the uh, immigration debate got a lot hotter. Uh, So here's what's happening. You know, remember the day before, President two days before, the president had this uh, wild meeting at the at the uh, White House with all the, um, uh, not all, but a lot of. Democratic and Republican congressional leaders in the cabinet room. He invited the media in. They were there for 55 minutes, which is totally unprecedented. And they had this wild discussion back and forth about what had to be in a bill, what shouldn't be in a bill. And Donald Trump, clearly uh, not knowing what he was talking about, uh, switching sides, contradicting himself, at one point saying, I'll go for a clean DACA bill. And then then he was uh, reminded by Kevin McCarthy from California, no, you can't do that. You have to have the wall in there. He says, that's right, we need to have the wall. He put out a statement after the meeting saying, got to have a wall. The next day at his news conference with the prime minister of Norway says, no, I got to have a wall. So yesterday, uh, a couple of things happened. One is there were six senators, uh, Jeff Flake and Lindsey Graham, among others, Dick Durbin, Democrat, Bob Menendez, uh, Democrat from New Jersey. Uh, I forget the others, a couple of others. Uh, um and they came they came up with a a, a deal they they that announced we got a deal we got a bill we got a bipartisan bill it has protection for the dreamers and it has uh it, it, it has border security in it too but it did not have a concrete physical wall and Donald Trump immediately said no that bill's no good uh, so
3: we almost had bipartisanship <laughs> that everybody almost. seems to want.
1: We almost had the kind of bipartisanship that Donald Trump had said he wanted to see when he met with those legislators, uh, some legislators, that group of legislators a couple of days ago. So then Donald Trump has another meeting yesterday, called some more people down to the White House. Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham went down. Tom Cotton was there a hardliner on immigration. Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin went down there thinking that they were alone, the two of them, going to meet with Donald Trump and say, here we are, Democrat, Republican, we got the answer. We'll tell you how, how you can solve this problem. Instead, they show up, and there are a couple of hardliners, uh, Goodlatte, the congressman from, uh, from Virginia, and Tom Cotton, the senator from North Carolina. Uh, at any rate, and in the uh, process of this meeting, as has been confirmed by these senators who were in the meeting, Republicans and Democrats, and the White House has not denied this, Uh, they're trying to explain to the president, well, you know, Mr. President, there are already some people, you just can't block everybody from coming in here, we already have some uh, situations where because of the extreme danger in their home countries, we, for years, under Republicans and Democrats, Republican presidents and Democratic presidents, we have given these people protected status. Particularly, they mentioned people from Haiti have that status, people from El Salvador, which you know the president tried to take away that status earlier in the week, and people from certain African countries. Uh, and these senators said, in response to that, uh, By the way, Donald Trump, who was apparently totally unaware of that, uh, Donald Trump, in response to that, said, why do we need these people from, this is the president now, I'm quoting, why do we need these people from shithole countries? We need more people from Norway. Now, let's just stop right there. What's the difference between the people from Norway and the people from Haiti or from El Salvador or from African countries? Yeah, you got it. The people from Norway are white. The people from Haiti, need I pointed out, and El Salvador and the African countries are either black or brown, proving once again. I mean, Donald Trump is an outright racist. This is not the first time, friends. It may be the most vulgar term that he's used, but remember, this is a man that we first heard about when he and his father were sued by the Justice Department for refusing to rent apartments to African Americans in the Queens. This is the man who took out ads demanding the death penalty for five young black kids, young men, who were accused of rape in Central Park, falsely accused, exonerated, and still Donald Trump put out ads calling for the death penalty for those five young men. This is the man, of course, who attacked NFL, NFL players, 95% or 90% or whatever, are African-American, Call them sons of bitches. This is a man who, for five years, led the campaign saying that the first African-American president of the United States was not a legitimate president because he wasn't born in this country. This is a man who went after the riots in Charlottesville, said that there were some very fine people among the KKK, among the white supremacists, in, in Charlottesville, some very fine people. I mean, this every time. And now we've seen this latest reaction to people from Haiti and El Salvador and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and Africa. This guy, if he, he, he's got a real problem. He is an inbred bigot, and it comes out over and over and over again. And you can't deny it. And I'm not, I'm not the only one who says so. Here are some members of Congress yesterday. Congressman Luis Gutierrez. Democrat from Illinois. He never ceases um, to be able to shock you about just how terribly racist, racist this president can be. Congresswoman Ileana Ross-Latenden, Republican this from Florida.
3: This is the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, uh, making these racist statements.
1: Yeah, racist. And And the, the reporter says, wait a minute. Are you, are you really calling the president...
3: Republican a, calling the Republican president a
1: yeah, racist. Are you really calling him a racist? If that's not racism, I, I don't know how you can define it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're if that's not racism, I don't know how you can define it. The Republican governor of Florida, Rick Scott, who's up for re-election, of course, and who has maybe, I think it's some 350,000 Haitians living in Florida, he came out yesterday and said... This is outrageous. This is disgusting. We don't talk this way. These people are good people, and they should be protected. And by the way, when he was campaigning for president, Donald Trump himself went before the Haitian community and said, I love Haitians, I love you, and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be your protector in the White House. Yeah, yeah. Now, you see what he's calling their country.
3: You know, I mean, the Uh, Rick Scott thing really sort of— Woke me up a little bit because this is a guy who has approved and been on board with every single thing that Trump has done,
1: mm-hmm. and so now, so much so that he was able to get Florida off the yeah. offshore drilling yeah, list. Offshore drilling thing, yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: And so, like for some of these guys and 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 ladies that are politicians, we're finding out just what the line is, and this is a line. Yeah. And, I mean, look, it's like what you were saying. This is not the worst thing he's ever done or said, but, like, it's not good. Not good.
1: And, by the way, uh, they should have recognized who he is uh, and what he is before, certainly, uh, before this. But it certainly also does not help uh, in the negotiations on immigration when you're dealing with a bigot and a racist n- known and expressed uh, at the top, at the top of the government, uh, in in the White House. So that and that plus rejecting this first deal that a group of bipartisan senators came up with means it's going to be not as easy as we thought maybe a couple of days ago c- to get a deal on the Dreamers and to get a deal to keep the government running now one week from today. Meanwhile, there's a. Uh, Another crazy thing happened yesterday. One of the one of the veteran White House reporters uh, I talked to yesterday about this whole this is I'm getting I'm moving into the FISA debate, uh, and, and just a little background there. So yesterday the House was set to vote on whether or not to extend the FISA surveillance program. Uh, now this is the program that Edward Snowden first blew the whistle on. This is the program where NSA is capturing basically every telephone call made in this country, whether it's between Americans here and people uh, in another country or between Americans and Americans. All this data is being collected. In my view, it is, as a civil libertarian, it is massive invasion of privacy. But under Barack Obama, this issue came up and FISA was allowed, the FISA court was allowed to continue to give NSA this permission. The question came up yesterday: Are we going to continue that power of FISA to approve this kind of surveillance? Um, Republicans and Democrats. By the, I, I'm surprised, and we're going to find more about this uh, about uh, from Lisa Rosenberg in the next half hour. Uh, I'm surprised it was not more. Um, uh, uh, opposition. I, I was
3: about to mention. I,
1: I, nobody, nobody that I know of, maybe Rand Paul is the only one who said, we shouldn't be continuing this program. We should
3: be questioning it or maybe stopping it. We've been doing this show long enough that right? I remember when this was the biggest issue in yeah. the country yeah. for are, a couple of weeks. Are we going to allow NA- NSA to do this? Well, there was no such
1: debate this time.
3: And by the way, by the way, that debate happened before we found out that the NSA was actually spying on us. Like we had concerns before we even knew what the NSA was. Before Edward
1: Snowden blew the whistle, and
3: now we know what they're up to, and like we're not losing our minds. So it
1: was almost automatic. In fact, the White House put out a statement night before last saying uh, the president approves the continuation of this program, and then yesterday morning. On Fox and Friends, Judge Napolitano, who's their legal expert in the morning, he said, mm, I got some questions about this, why they're doing this, and I can't believe that Donald Trump supports this. Okay, now, again, the White House has put out a statement the night before saying Donald Trump wants the House of Representatives to approve this extension of FISA. Uh, Donald Trump is watching Fox and Friends he immediately picks up his iPhone, and he tweets out, repeating verbatim the Fox and Friends headline, whatever it was, on the segment. Here it and is. you've I, got the tweet there. And I, he actually says, have, I
3: actually have it here. House votes on controversial FISA act today. That was the... That's, that's that, in quotes. He quote. put that in quotes in that's, his tweet. That's quotes from... Fox and Friends. Trump goes on. This is the act that may have been used with the help of the discredited and phony dossier to so badly surveil and abuse the Trump campaign by the previous administration and others. Yeah. Uh, and then goes on to say a couple of other right. things. But so that, that, that's the controversial So then part. Trump comes out, contradicts his own White House,
1: and says Republicans ought to vote against this because this is the program that they used to spy on me at Trump Tower, which, by the way, there's been zero evidence for. He just... He just accused Barack Obama of doing that. So suddenly you've got <laughs> you've got the White House on one side of the issue and Donald Trump on the other side of the issue. And Republicans in the middle saying, what the hell do we do now? So report, at the briefing yesterday, reporters tried to ask Sarah Sanders, what's going on here? What's going on here? And she insists, no, Donald Trump supports this program.
4: The president fully supports the 702 uh, and was happy to see that it passed the House today. But he does have some overall concern with the FISA program more generally.
1: Yes. And she said, here's what he wants. He wants a program that's going to Get the information, but still protect our privacy.
4: The president doesn't feel that we should have to choose between protecting American citizens and protecting their civil liberties. He wants to do both, and that's exactly what he's going to do. We don't see any contradiction or confusion in that.
1: And it was just mind-boggling to sit in the briefing room and hear, and the reporters kept saying, how can you say this is not contradictory? How can you say this is not confusion when the White House says, one thing, one the one thing the night before, and the president says a totally different thing the next morning, and she insisted it was all consistent. It was all consistent, and the only reason he was concerned about FISA at all was because there was she kept saying ample evidence that Barack Obama had used FISA through FISA had used NSA to spy on Trump Tower during the campaign. Again, that allegation, which has never, 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 never been proven. It, it's it, sort of
3: like. It- if if you are a person who supports Trump and you are a person who for, who supports FISA, first of all, shame on you. But if you are, that's not a crazy thing to come out and say. Like I believe that we should be as safe as we can, but I also have some concerns. Fine, let us have that conversation. Like Trump, yeah. Trump doesn't want to have that conversation because he doesn't know what FISA is. Like he has no idea. Ask like the next reporter that talks to Trump should just ask him. Can you tell us what FISA stands for?
1: Because
3: mm-hmm. yeah. he doesn't know <laughs> no And so like if the, if that's his beef, as Sarah Sanders says, if that's his problem, then have the conversation. You're the leader of the free world. You can lead right. that conversation if you want, but he can't do it
1: No. Uh, so I ran into uh, a senior White House reporter at this reception for uh, uh, Robert Siegel last night and I said, so what did you what was your take on this whole thing about FISA? I said it just proves that Donald Trump has no idea what he's doing and no idea of the, uh, of, of the issues at all. Uh, the briefing started yesterday with Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, coming out. A lot of hype about the tax cut bill. Steve Mnuchin saying that as of next month, actually, they're moving fast, as of next month, 90% of American workers are going to see a bigger take-home paycheck.
2: This new guidance will mean that workers and their families will receive larger paychecks starting in February.
1: Uh, Steve Mnuchin also said because of our tax cut bill, uh, Wall Street—I'm sorry, not Wall Street—Walmart, Walmart Walmart is feeling so good about the economy that they've announced today they are, are raising their minimum wage to $11 an hour. By the way, which is nowhere near. $11 an hour, you still, working a 40-hour week, are living in poverty at $11 an hour. Um, Why not $15 an hour? Why not $20 an hour? At any rate, he saluted Walmart for raising (coughs) its minimum wage to $11. Uh, Somebody in the crowd of of reporters pointed out that Walmart also yesterday closed, what was it, uh, how many, 53 Sam's Club stores
3: with no warning,
1: with no warning at all. This is sort of their answer to Costco, right? Sam's Club, the discount stores. Uh, That 53 stores closed yesterday. People showed up and and were given a pink slip saying this store is no longer in business. Some nine thousand four hundred and fifty people lost their jobs, but Steve Mnuchin uh, insisting that Walmart raising wages. The Trump campaign gets credit for that, but the Trump campaign gets no blame for 10,000 people losing their jobs. Can't have it both ways, The same day. The same company. Uh, When I was there listening to um, Secretary Mnuchin talk about how the average worker is going to benefit from the uh, tax cut bill, um, it occurred to me that somebody else is going to benefit bigly. From the tax cut bill, and it's not the average American worker. Uh, I tried to get an answer uh, on that question out of the secretary, whom I wrongly called Mr. President. Uh, <clears throat> little brain fart there. President's bad enough; we don't pre- need minutia. Exactly. Uh, but uh, do you think maybe Donald Trump is going to release his tax returns? Listen to this dance.
3: Mr.
2: President, when you're talking about the uh, Mr.
1: Impact, President.
3: I'm sorry, Mr. Secretary.
2: <laughs> he just, he, he, he's, he's in the other room. The
1: 2020 news. Not yet. Uh, Mr. Secretary, in talking about the impact and the benefit that most American workers will see under the tax cut plan, uh, wouldn't this be a good day for the President to release his tax returns so we can see how he benefits from the tax
2: cut bill? And have you recommended that? Uh, again, I've, I've had this question before when I've been up here. Uh, I'll say the same thing. Uh, I'll give you the same answer I gave you last time. I think that there's a ton of financial disclosure that the president has given the American people. They voted for him. He's the president. I think people are happy with that. And the president will decide what he wants to do.
1: In other words, hey, he didn't release his tax returns. He got elected. So end of story. It's the same thing they say when you ask about the sexual harassment charges about Donald Trump. This issue was raised during the campaign. He got elected. Therefore, it's no longer a story. Yeah, that is such, such BS. There's nobody who benefits more from this tax cut bill than Donald Trump. Uh, but uh, I still appreciated the fact of putting him on the spot. Uh, one reporter came up to me after the briefing and said, you asked the best question of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, and by the way, uh, finally, on, uh, on the Trump front uh, yesterday, uh, Donald Trump, uh, the White House announced that when he goes to Europe next month, Donald Trump is not, is not, is not, is not going to stop in London, uh, as has been planned. Uh, and he told us why in a tweet early this morning. Um, I woke up to read this quote. Reason I canceled my trip to London is that I am not a big fan of the Obama administration, having sold perhaps the best located... got to find it again. Best located and finest embassy in London for peanuts, <laughs> only to build a new one in a far less uh, attractive uh, location. Uh, well, the fact is, the United States did make a decision... To sell the embassy in uh, back in 2008, they did so because it was determined that they could not retrofit that old building to meet the security needs of 2017. Things have changed; better security measures. They could not retrofit that building, uh, and so the State Department uh, recommended that they build a new embassy, which we have. That decision again was made in two thousand and eight under President George W. Bush. Barack Obama had nothing to do with it. You, Does thing, this guy he is so ignorant about everything? Of course he
3: is. No, he's insane. But I I love that at, at one of those tweets he says, They wanted me to cut the ribbon. No. So he's yeah, he's right. upset that they wanted him to cut. I mean, maybe he's like got a problem that he wasn't getting paid enough for his appearance fee. Like he still thinks he's a celebrity. But and that's the what president. he was going
1: to do. He was going to stop there and he was going to open the new embassy. And now, you know why he's not going to London. He's not going to London because the Queen won't see him. Yeah, because they the prime because the Prime Minister doesn't want him to come, has suggested that he not come, and because there would be massive demonstrations in the street. So instead, he doesn't go, and he finds a way, tries to find a way to blame it on Barack Obama, who had nothing to do with this decision, again, to build this new embassy. The only thing surprising to me about that is he didn't blame it on Hillary Clinton. How he missed the beat there, I don't quite understand. At any rate, again, lots of questions about this FISA deal, not only about whether Donald Trump understands it, but why did so many members of Congress, Republicans and Democrats, vote to continue this program in the first place? Lisa Rosenberg's got the answers. Executive director for Open the Government. Coming up next. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, on a Friday. How about it? Can't get in the weekend yet. Into the weekend yet. we got a little more news to talk about here on the Bill Press Show. But good to have you with us. As we come to you live coast to coast uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. on this Friday, January 12th, where we are brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America under President Terry O'Sullivan, the great members of the Laborers Union Building a Better America. That's their website, L.I.U.N.A, L-I-U-N-A org. Check it out. And we thank them for their uh, Great work uh, across the country and their support uh, of the program. We've been talking a lot about the news of the day, particularly Donald Trump's comments about uh, the nations of Haiti and El Salvador and uh, African countries, uh, prompting a lot of Twitter comments. Peter?
3: Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. we got a <laughs> comment here from L.O., Who says, we don't need a racist president picking and choosing who deserves government services. It explains the lack of empathy and aid to Puerto Rico. Remember how... Oh, yeah, like, right. Another. This now makes a lot more sense, uh, how he feels about Puerto Add Rico. Add Puerto
1: Rico to the list. Yeah, right?
3: uh, we are also uh, in our we chat We need room.
1: more people from Norway. That's what we need. We yeah, really do. We right. More people from Norway. Thank you, Mr. President. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, also, we have our chat room them. at YouTube.com. Although com. maybe not, they're
1: socialists.
3: YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, Tad says a year in, and the bad thing is we're being accustomed to his racist comments, stupid tweets, doing a 180 on issues, etc. And that's uh, something that a lot of people have said. You can't get comfortable here. You can't get comfortable with the, like every day something horrible comes out. And if that just becomes normal, then we're just going to become desensitized to it. Send so us your comments on Twitter where we are tweeting at BP show at BP show. And again, in our chat room, youtube.com slash the bill press show. Uh, and
1: as I mentioned earlier uh, at the briefing yesterday, it was um, it was sort of an Alice in Wonderland kind of experience because here we had the White House put an official statement saying, we support extension of the FISA program, uh, FISA court program, and uh, on surveillance, and the president the next morning tweeting... I don't support this. This is a bad program. They used it to spy on me, and Congress is caught in the middle of what the hell they do. What's the FISA thing all about? Anyhow, joining us, Executive Director of Open the Government, Lisa Rosenberg. Hi, Lisa. Good to see you. Good to be here. Boy, where do we start? Um, let's start with FISA. What is the FISA court? Anyhow, just remind, we haven't talked about this for a long time, sure. so kind of bring. let's go back. Remind us. What's FISA?
0: So FISA is actually the law um, that permits the National Security Administration to spy on foreign people um, that's it's intended and designed to protect us from terrorism. And because these people it's outside...
1: Foreign Information and Foreign Surveillance, Intelligence? Foreign
0: Intelligence Surveillance Act.
1: Act. Yes, okay. sorry, the, the
0: acronyms, a, right. we and, get used to them.
1: And there's a court, right? A FISA there's a FISA court.
0: court. It's a very sort of secretive... <clears throat> court and it's it's hard to find out information about what's going on in that court Um, very unlike our traditional courts that we're used to Um, so the FISA bill permits this court and it also permits this spying of foreign people by um, by the National Security uh, Administration so they and that is that was all after 9-11 and it was designed to protect our safety from and to protect us from terrorism
1: and the so pro- the bill that was up was to extend... To
0: reauthorize. reauthorize. Which is a very you know, common, normal, standard thing to do, but...
1: When is the last time it was reauthorized?
0: Um, that is a good question. I, it was a few years ago, and I... Was like, okay. But, the but point as
1: I that, recall, it was under President Obama.
0: Yeah. And the problem with the reauthorization, the problem that we've discovered since this, you know, since um, we've lived with this FISA bill for so long, is that it's... Um, it's misused, all right. So, people in other countries, potential terrorists, people were worried about. They don't have Fourth Amendment rights um, to prevent to protect from government intrusion, government warrantless searches and seizures. We, as United States citizens, do have those Fourth Amendment rights, obviously. In theory. <laughs> well, hopefully, still in practice, but not in this case. Yeah. Um, not here. And so, what will happen is that. Um, You know, we'll spy on these foreign nationals, these foreign people, and get some information in their emails and their cell phones and their texts and that kind of information. There's this huge database of information, but it also contains uh, information about U.S. citizens who may have been in contact with these foreign people. So the real problem from um, a U.S. accountability point of view is, A, we don't know if that information is being collected on you or me or any other U.S. citizen – um, if you happen to be talking to somebody or emailing somebody about, uh, you know, using marijuana and you happen to live in the state of Colorado, if Jeff Sessions wants to go after you um, to enforce the federal drug laws, even though it's perfectly legal in Colorado, and he digs through or he tells the FBI to dig through that database and finds information about that, then then DEA agents can build a case around that against you. You have no idea it's happening um, you can't defend yourself against that. You can't say the, mis- the, the information is wrong because you don't even know where the information came from. So the right. problem really is the one of the problems. There are many problems. But the problem is the you know, disregard of the Fourth Amendment and then the lack of transparency around it so that we have no way of defending ourselves. All
1: right. Communications, are they, are they collecting phone calls or monitoring phone calls? And emails. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they're collecting electronic communications. Exactly. What
1: about communications between Amer just between uh, uh, Americans? They're not
0: supposed to be collecting those.
1: Not supposed to. I mean, again, there's no. Edward Snowden show us that in fact they are. Well,
0: he uncovered a lot of information. Of course, I mean, he uncovered this whole um, that this whole system existed entirely. So. you know, again, because there's no transparency around it, because we don't know how often it's being used, um, that's where we get into trouble. We can't really have a fair, you know, discussion about whether it's working or whether it's not. But look, in terms of Trump's tweet yesterday, um, he stumbled on potentially the right policy for about 20 minutes. He, it was likely inadvertent um, and it was likely not based on actual fact, but we don't really know. Um, but it was, he's right. We need to address the, the, the privacy implications of this FISA bill and how it impacts U.S. citizens. And part of the way that we would address that is by applying some transparency, applying some oversight to this legislation so that Congress knows how many U.S. citizens are being targeted, um, so that Congress can say, no, that's, you know, that's inappropriate, so that a defendant in a case, a criminal case in the U.S. that has nothing to do with national security um, can defend him or herself properly saying, no, this was you know, this was inappropriate, inappropriately obtained evidence.
1: Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm going to go back. So the last time, this this issue that you just pointed out mm-hmm. and the serious questions, policy questions, civil liberty questions, privacy questions that you just raised, that is the central issue. That is, the, that, that is, that is what we ought to be talking that's about. That's what we ought
0: to be talking about. I
1: remember the last, I forget the exact year, but the last time this was up for authorization, there was an enormous amount of debate on that issue. Rand Paul was out there on one side. Dianne Feinstein was out there member on the other. Right. You know, who basically right. continued the program. She, Rand Paul yes. was saying, no, this right. is not this is not good. And Barack Obama ended up support you know on Diane Feinstein's side and not on Rand Paul's right. side. We on this program are very, very strong saying, No, this is a massive big government right. way over the that was a big debate. It went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. This time this was totally under the radar we i didn't hear anybody this, debating this reauthorization well there, the, the merits of whether right. or not we whether or not we should reauthorize a program without adding some transparency and some, some limitations liberties. and whatever except rand paul
0: well rand paul paul wyden um, Justin Amash in the House actually did offer a bill that, or an amendment to the bill good, that good. Um, didn't pass. But, but, you say it, but, but he offered, it did not have the
5: public debate. It did not
0: have the public debate, probably until Trump tweeted about it. Um, right. And, right. and, and yeah, no, it, then all it all then So it, blew so up it was sort of like
1: almost automatic. It was, it's and, true. Right. And, and then the White House puts out this statement from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, because as a White House reporter, mm-hmm. I got it a couple of nights ago and I thought, hmm, whatever. And then the next morning with this Trump tweet that uh, um, House votes that morning. House votes. So he tweeted, after watching Andrew Napolitano Mm -hmm. on Fox and Friends, Don Trump says, House votes on controversial FISA Act today. This is the act that may have been used with the help of the discredited and phony dossier to so badly surveil and abuse the Trump campaign by the previous administration. Uh, and others. So it votes on the controversial FISA Act today. Let me ask you, for, do you think that Donald Trump even knew that the White House had put out a statement supporting the reauthorization?
0: Based on that tweet, it doesn't seem as though he did. <laughs> but again, as I said before, you know, I think he got the policy right just inadvertently um, for a minute. and I But do for the think wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons, of course. They were for personal Donald Trump reasons and not for protecting the civil liberties of United States citizens right. reasons, so of I, course. I'd
1: have to uh, assert, a little disagree with you on that. I think Napolitano got got it right, meaning there's some civil liberty questions here. Sure. Donald Trump says, well, oh, no, this is what this they used to spy on me, <laughs> right. me, me. Right. Is there any evidence at all?
0: Well, there isn't that any anybody
1: evidence. spied on him at Trump Tower?
0: No, there's never been any evidence of that. Yeah, But, you know, look, the fact of the matter is, because this is so secretive, you know, who knows, right? I mean, and if, it, it, and that's really kind of, you know, that really highlights the problem, is if we don't know, we won't know, we can't know, um, because it's just completely under wraps.
1: So yesterday morning, Justin Sink uh, was in from Bloomberg News, uh, White House reporter, and, and he was the first one that caught this and said, Whoa, 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 what's going on here? This is a total contradiction. Yes. Uh, At the briefing yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, probably 10 times in a row from 10 different reporters, denied that this represented her statement and Donald Trump's tweet represented any contradiction at all.
0: Right. I mean, and obviously it represented a contradiction because— the White House position was a straight reauthorization without fixing any of these civil liberties issues or these transparency or accountability issues. And then Donald Trump's statement said, well, maybe we need to think about this. So but what, here's the thing that's what, really okay, important.
1: Just with what happened then, mm-hmm. after this tweet, everybody's confused. Members of Congress are confused. The Republican leadership is confused because their position is they think with White House support, full steam ahead. And suddenly the commander in chief says, no, I don't like this stinky bill. So John Kelly, chief of staff, and Mark Short, isn't that his name, the uh, legislative uh, mm. liaison from the White House to Congress, rush up to Capitol Hill and had to, uh, uh, unplanned. Uh, of course. And walking around from room to room say, no, this is we the official this. position. Right, right. right. Oh, God. But,
0: I but here's what I think is, you know, this isn't a over. Mouse this Mickey
1: Mouse operation. It
0: is, this isn't over yet, though. The Senate still has to vote. And the oh, Senate good. is scheduled okay. to vote on Tuesday, Tuesday evening. Um, and that's what's really important. so if Donald Trump is legitimately concerned for whatever reason, his own personal reasons or for, you know, concerned about the civil liberties of, of people in this country, if he is legitimately concerned, he can go to Mitch McConnell and say, look, let's fix this. We have the Wyden-Paul Amendment, the Wyden-Paul Bill that is a really strong bill that still allows us to protect our national security while protecting the civil liberties of U.S. citizens, which is what Sarah Huckabee Sanders was saying the White House meant all along, which isn't exactly true. But but if that is what the White House means now, fine, I'll take it. Then let's see some leadership and let's see the Senate address this issue. They have a chance to fix this bill. Uh, Mitch McConnell is not inclined to change it and to amend the bill. He is very much right now inclined to just take up the House bill and pass it without any of these fixes. But we have a president who. At least, again, briefly, said that this bill needs to be fixed. So let's let's see the leadership and let's have him fix it on oh, Tuesday. Oh no, that's
1: very interesting. So um, almost indirectly, right? Uh, Donald Trump could be prove to be an ally. Exactly.
0: In in exactly.
1: this uh, in, in this in this case, we, if if yeah. he took the libertarian or these the civil libertarian right. position. Mm-hmm. Of protecting our privacy from this massive super spy operation right. that we've got called called NSA.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and if he understood and decided to talk about checks and balances, which is another thing that should appeal to Mitch McConnell, Congress should know what's going on with this with this spy program. Congress should have the ability to oversee NSA and say, you know, you're the FBI, you're doing too much, you're digging too deep, this isn't authorized, this isn't appropriate. And Congress really doesn't have the authority to do that currently either. So those checks need to be put in place. And again, that seems like that's something Mitch McConnell would actually approve of and support. But he is going to need some outside um, support to to change this bill. Again, I'm not optimistic that McConnell is likely to take up an amendment to this bill, but perhaps with some leadership from the White House, he would do that.
1: But um, and so this comes up on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Let's hope there's more of a debate in the Senate than there was in the House on on this in terms of hearing both sides, and some strong voices. Ron Wyden and
0: and Paul and, and, and he has and, threatened. And Rand, Paul. Rand Paul. has threatened to to filibuster. So um, you know we'll we'll hear we'll have some debate. We'll have some conversation. Where it ends up. Um, you know, is anyone's uh, guess.
1: Uh, are any other Democrat, are Democrats just kind of – I mentioned Senator Feinstein who's always been a hawk on intelligence. She but.
0: has and she continues to be, but I think that the feeling on Capitol Hill is that she too could be moved um, at this juncture as opposed to where she was during the Obama administration. Look, it's hard to disagree with your intelligence agencies. It's hard to say no. If your intelligence agencies say we want X, it's hard to say no, you're only getting Y. Um, if you're a member of Congress, but All I right. think we have the evidence now to say you can have both. Intelligence agencies can have their authority to to listen in on these conversations of foreign foreign people, but we can still protect our privacy. And I think that's the realistic outcome that you know that could happen, um, but we still need some leadership to make it happen.
1: Under the present program, uh, phone records of American citizens are. Are not being collected by NSA, but are being collected by the phone company. I'm trying to remember what right. The deal and then they was. have
0: to, uh, then they go into this. There's a database of all of these phone records. Again, when they are connected with the information being collected from um, foreign nationals.
1: And and that's that database is held by the phone companies, and then NSA can access it if they have permission of the FISA well, court. Is a, it? There's a, there's a, yeah.
0: They I mean. Again, it's so secretive. We don't know all the details. But yeah, the FISA court can, uh, the NSA has access to this. It's the, the problem that we're really concerned with in terms of this this particular issue in the civil liberties is, is not even the NSA so much as the FBI when they access it for sort of these, you know, without a warrant. They don't need a warrant from the FISA court or anywhere else. They can just access it and sort of dig into, um, you know, the records of U.S. citizens. Right. And that's the part we're really concerned about.
1: All right. So if anybody, if this is a a, a big issue. I guess the uh, uh, the focus now should be uh, calls or emails or whatever uh, to members of the Senate. I think saying, that's
0: exactly right. Saying you have the opportunity to fix what the House didn't fix. Right. Don't and, let
1: this be a rubber stamp, an mm-hmm, automatic vote in the Senate. Let's have a real, honest debate. And uh, while you're at it, support the amendment, uh, assuming Ms. McConnell will allow a vote on the amendment. Right. By I guess in the in the Senate it would be s- uh, submitted by Rand Paul and uh, uh, Ron Wyden. And Wyden. Uh, to, to, to to in fact you mentioned at the briefing yesterday uh, or that the the president trying to have it both ways. Sarah Huckabee Sanders again maybe inadvertently um, uh, was talking about the FISA bill. First of all, ass- ass- again asserting that the president totally supports this. Uh, reauthorization.
4: The president fully supports the 702 uh, and was happy to see that it passed the House today. But he does have some overall concern with the Pfizer program more generally.
1: And she said, so here's what, as you pointed out, again, whether he understands what they're saying or not, uh, she sort of, in this case, uses the right words.
4: Right. The president The president doesn't feel that we should have to choose between protecting American citizens and protecting their civil liberties. He wants to do both. And that's exactly what he's going to do. We don't see any contradiction or confusion in that.
1: We should be able to do that.
4: We should be able to do that. She's
0: right about that. But where she gets it wrong is saying that he fully supports the reauthorization and he's happy about the straight reauthorization. That's where there's the disconnect because you can't. That reauthorization does, not, does protect not protect the civil liberties of people in the United States. So right. that's where she—you can't have it both ways and say you fully re- support the reauthorization, but you want to protect civil liberties because that's not what's happening.
1: Now, totally unrelated to this, I want to ask you about a couple of things. So, um, what's the current status of um, Edward Snowden?
0: I mean, he's he's still Exi- in, exiled exile. in Russia. Exactly. Right. So We haven't heard much from him.
1: And, and can't really leave because if he tried... Uh, I know he was given um, amnesty or what's the word? Is it amnesty or... Asylum. Asylum, thank you. In some South American country. But he can't get there because... He can't he- get
0: there. Yeah, I he's got to
1: stop somewhere, right. probably in a country that would extradite, that would extradite him extrad- to the exactly. United States. So he's, right.
0: Apparently he's yeah, he's stuck for a while.
1: Can we say from a national security point of view that any... That our national security was in any way damaged by what Edward Snowden released?
0: You know, I don't want to say our national security was damaged or not. I'm not a national security expert. What I would have you say, seen any
1: evidence that our national again, security I was?
0: haven't seen any evidence of that. No, but um, <laughs> but what I can say about Edward Snowden is is kind of taking getting outside of the national security argument and saying what was helped was bringing to light. All of these other issues, the civil liberties issues that we're talking about today, he brought that to light. He opened up that debate, um, and and I think that's really important. I think the United States people are smart enough to understand we can have we can have both. We can protect our national security and protect our national and protect our civil liberties at the same time. And I think you know what Edward Snowden did was bring that debate to light. Um, again, I have not seen an impact on our national security. You'd have to ask national security yeah. you know, people if, if they, they they found that. Um, it's just not something I'm equipped but to there, talk about.
1: So th- and this gets right to the heart of your organization, I guess, Open, open uh, the Government. Um, there are a lot of people today who feel maybe the majority of Americans that this is just the way things are today because with this threat of terrorism that we don't have any privacy left and we can't expect to have any privacy left, that everything we do from... Our banking, to our private phone calls, to what we look at online, it, there are no secrets.
0: Um, is that or the new normal? Well, there are too many secrets in terms of the government. I mean, the I tr- think that's tr- the, that's yes, the new normal yes. that I think that people. But they are, have access that we, that we, as individuals, have no privacy that's, left that's, anymore. That's what we're concerned about: is the fact that there are there are <laughs> government secrets that we, as an, as a country, as individuals, as voters are not informed fully informed about what our government is doing we have the right to make informed decisions we believe that this information really is our information you know with the exception of course some of some certain national where's security mo- Where's the most
1: secrecy in the military or
0: the most secrecy is certainly in the national security realm yeah absolutely um, but we have a, there's a lot of secrecy there's secrecy around you know around our military actions What were we doing in Niger? Niger? I mean, Mm -hmm. we don't really know. um, And we need to find those things out as well. We believe in an informed public. We believe that we're, our democracy is stronger if we are informed. And um, and we're not right now. And so that's what Open the Government really advocates. Um, you know, trust the people to make decisions. Give them the information they need to make decisions about their government.
1: And don't keep us in the dark like mushrooms, huh? Exactly. Uh, a little sunshine. A little sunshine. <laughs> it's a, is, is a good thing. A lot is. of sunshine is even Ab- better. Absolutely. Lisa Rosenberg, it's Open the Government, fighting the good fight for all of us. The website is Open the Government org. Lisa, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. All right. Niall Stanish joins us next. from this the This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
2: Broadcasting around the nation on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is
1: The Bill Press Show. Hey, what we need is more people from Norway. Yeah, bring them in. As long as they're white, we love them. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Friday. Friday, January 12. Good to see you today. Welcome uh, to the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Yeah, it was 5 degrees at the beginning of the week. It's probably going to be 70 degrees today. Uh, That's kind of the way the weather sort of reflects the politics in Washington. Hot or cold, one day to the next, you (laughs) never know. Thanks so much for joining us uh, all across this great land of ours as we uh, saddle up here to tackle the news of the day. For one last hour before we release you into the wild weekend, whatever you have in mind, Uh, and to help us do that, a good friend from The Hill, White House columnist, He stalks the uh, White House beats briefings every day. (laughs) Niall Standage here to join us for this last hour as a friend of Bill. Hello, Niall.
5: Morning, Bill. How are you?
1: I am good, thank you. And that was uh, certainly a roller coaster of a briefing yesterday. I mean,
5: much, much to discuss from there. Where, <laughs> where do we begin?
1: Uh, well, I don't know. We could begin with my calling the secretary, Mr. President. Well, that which was, was, was always
5: entertaining. That <laughs> added to the general gaiety of the room. I thought
1: things are bad enough with the president we got. All right. Yeah, I know. Well. <laughs> and, and what's funny about that is, I was just standing there thinking about what a used car salesman Steve Mnuchin reminded me—that <laughs> that's a, you know that he's not that effective at all—and then I end up <clears throat> mistakenly calling him Mr. President. And yeah, we'll get into that. All that came up yesterday sure. with Nastanya and a lot of other news of the day. But first. <laughs>
3: this is the full court press just a couple of other stories making news if you find yourself going to boston's museum of fine arts make Uh sure you say hello to their newest employee they have a new employee named riley riley is a weimaraner puppy who has been brought on by the boston museum of fine arts because Riley is going to be sniffing out insects and other pests that could potentially damage the works of art that they have there at the museum. This is apparently Hmm. a problem in some museums, right? Not vandals that are coming in, but pests and uh, uh, other bugs that are like, you know, live in the space, they are damaging the works of art. So Riley, the dog, has been brought on board to help sniff them out and help exterminate the problem there at Boston's Museum of Fine Art.
1: It reminds me of the Galapagos, okay? Where I just got back from. You get on the plane to go to the Galapagos and they spray inside the plane because they don't want any in they want any insects to go from the mainland oh, to the Galapagos. To
3: Galapagos. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh well, there you yeah. go. There you
1: go. I warned you ahead of time. You're going to get doused with a spray. <laughs> Who
3: knows what it is? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> By the way, you remember early on in uh, Donald Trump's presidency, he went to Indiana to talk and boast about the $7 million oh, state yeah. tax carrier incentive plant. that was going to benefit oh. the carrier plant there uh, in Indiana. Well, uh, it turns out carrier is laying off 215 workers. One of the people that actually went to war with Trump when this happened was a former steelworker union boss by the name of Chuck Jones. He came out yesterday, called Trump, quote, a con man, an idiot, and a liar (laughs) over this whole carrier thing. Now, a lot of people pointed out when this carrier thing happened, which was not quite a year ago, that this was going to happen. This was not a long-term solution. And now here we are, and it turns out that was, in fact, the case. Uh, one other story, the Golden Globes were this week. James Franco, one of the actors who's uh-huh. nominated for the Disaster yeah. Artist, who actually won <laughs> for his uh, role of Tommy Wiseau in the Disaster Artist. He was wearing a Time's Up pen. The
1: time's Up for him.
3: Time's Up for him. Yesterday, five women came forward and said that uh, it accused Franco of inappropriate behavior, uh, sexual harassment, and I don't think this is the end of the story for James Franco. I think we'll hear more as the days go on.
1: Yeah, an embarrassing moment. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Uh, embarrassing for the Golden Globes as well.
3: This is the Bill Press Show. You have one thing for sure.
1: Donald Trump doesn't like people if they're black or brown, doesn't want them coming into this country. Can't tell you what he called their host countries, but uh, if you're white, if you're from Norway, oh yeah, welcome, welcome. He said that yesterday. The White House and the White House does not deny they were the president's words. Hello, everybody. Great to see you on a Friday, Friday, January 12. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. We are joining you coast to coast, all across this great land of ours, on every single platform we can find. We're joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Press Show. Looking at you on television on Free Speech TV. Uh, thank you for joining us there, part of the Direct TV network. And, of course, out in Chicago on the big progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT, in studio with us, Niall Stanage, is a White House columnist for The Hill. Uh, Niall, you and I were both at the uh, White House briefing yesterday. Um, And it started out with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, talking a little bit of hype, saying that the tax cut bill, we are moving fast to implement that. And next month, 90% of American workers are going to see more money in their paycheck. Here's the secretary.
2: This new guidance will mean that workers and their families will receive larger paychecks starting
5: in February. Is that
1: true? And if so, how much bigger?
5: I'm not clear that that is true. Now, I am not an expert on this particular tax bill. My understanding was that benefits that might arise would mostly um, be apparent when people start to file their taxes, not around this period, but 12 months from now. For those people who do benefit, now there are people who are much more expert than me in tax policy who have calculated who will benefit and who won't.
1: Right. He Also, the Secretary said, and because of our tax cut bill, we're seeing companies do the right thing. Like today, Walmart is announcing, this was yesterday, announcing they're raising their minimum wage to $11 an hour. Uh, They're going to expand their paternity and maternity leaves. Uh, They're doing all these good things for the workers. And we are proud of that. And we take credit for that. Uh, You pointed out. Walmart did something else yesterday.
5: It did. It laid off a very large number of people, closed or announced the closure. In fact, did actually close yeah. a number of Sam's Club locations, which, as most people know, is is owned by Walmart. And my point in the briefing to Secretary Mnuchin was that it seems peculiar to suggest that you can <laughs> claim credit for the good things and um, avoid blame for the bad things. I mean, either you're responsible for a company's decisions, or you're not. You can't just pick and choose in that fashion, it seems to me.
1: The the numbers that I saw this morning were uh, the 53 Sam Clubs uh, across the country, and then about 9,400 workers lost right. their jobs right. yesterday. Right. Yes. So nice to give the Walmart people $11, which is, of course, not as much as many other cities and states have done with $15. Mm-hmm. I believe, a couple of members of Congress pointed out yesterday, if you still you can still get eleven dollars an hour and work for a 40 hour week and you're still below the poverty
5: level right right, right. which says it says it all really I mean I think the whole issue of low wage workers in this country is one I'm glad that it has become more prominent over the I, I've now lived in the US for 15 years and it has certainly become more visible over that period of time but it's a really pressing issue in this country I think
1: you're right yeah but it was it was uh, interesting to see the dance where the White House saying, all oh, the good things that have happened today because of this, we claim credit because of this bill, the bad things have nothing to do with us.
5: That's right. And yep. when I asked uh, Mnuchin that question, he didn't really engage with it. He just went back to the good things that right. they had done and left it there. Uh, and
1: so I'm standing there uh, thinking, oh, well, they're claiming that the big uh, beneficiaries of this tax cut bill are going to be the average American worker. In whatever paycheck they see next month, I'm I'm I also like you had some doubts in my mind as to whether or not that was actually accurate. But it did occur to me that there are some people who are going to benefit a lot more from the tax cut bill. Uh, and what about them? So um, again, mistakenly, for some reason, calling him Mr. President, not Mr. Secretary. Aside from that little flap, here's my question. Here we are. Mr. President, when you're talking about the. uh, Mr. President.
3: I'm sorry, Mr.
1: Secretary.
2: (laughs) He's he's in the other room. (laughs) 2020
1: news. Not yet. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Secretary, in talking about the impact and the benefit that most American workers will see under the tax cut plan, uh, wouldn't this be a good day for the President to release his tax returns so we can see how he benefits from the tax
2: cut bill? And have
1: you recommended that?
2: Uh, it, it, again, I've I've had this question before when I've been up here. Uh, I'll say the same thing. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the same answer I gave you last time. I think that there's a ton of financial disclosure that the president has given the American people. They voted for him. He's the president. I think people are happy with that, and the president will decide what he wants to do. All
1: right. So he didn't release his tax returns when he was a candidate. He got elected. End of story.
5: Right. And, and I mean, the Mnuchin's answer to your question was basically no. I'm not going to let yeah. you n- yeah. know wh- how that might affect things one way or another or anything like that. It was a somewhat artful way of saying it, but the effect was no, you can't. To me, it's the
1: same defense they use for all the sexual harassment charges. Look, these issues were raised. He was mm-hmm. a candidate, he got elected, so boom. End of story.
5: Yeah, which is a pretty extraordinary argument and would be an extraordinary argument made on behalf of any president. We don't generally take the view that a, an issue is just put to bed because someone wins an election. I mean, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if there are serious concerns, be it regarding um, sexually inappropriate behavior or be it regarding someone's taxes, it's, you don't just win the election and get a free pass from then on.
1: Uh, we all do this, uh, and I thought after the briefing of what I should have asked next, we all do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that what I my follow-up should have been Well, then, Mr. Secretary, why don't you tell us how you will benefit?
5: (laughs) Right, which I... I Because
1: he's as wealthy as Donald Trump is, if not more. I I, I suspect he would
5: be equally reticent about outlining the benefits to him, though. But
1: it would have been fun to watch him (laughs) turn red, (laughs) if possible, right? (laughs) I don't know. And then the other big issue was the FISA flap, Mm. right? Mm. Okay, so here's a situation where... With the big vote in the House yesterday, and we just talked uh, about the FISA thing in detail with Lisa Rosenberg from uh, Open the Government. But the facts are that the vote is coming up. The White House takes a position to reauthorize the FISA program. Uh, The White House takes a position, puts out a statement, which you and I received from Mm -hmm. this press secretary the night before the vote, saying the president supports this. The next morning... <laughs> uh before seven A.M. or around seven A.m., the president puts out a tweet saying this is a bad deal. Right. And the White House White House press secretary yesterday insisting there's no
5: contradiction. The, that's- How can they how can they make that claim? It's I think it's just the most um, I mean, it's a fairly absurd claim. I think it's just trying to get the most politically, uh, I don't know, tenable way of of just avoiding saying anything very much. I did think it was notable in the briefing and I noted this on Twitter um Hallie Jackson of NBC News was one of the people to make that point. And I thought got an unusually uh, irascible response from the press secretary who called the premise of the question ridiculous when it clearly wasn't. Um, That, to me, pointed to the White House's sensitivity about that issue because uh, Hallie's question was, this is confusing. He said he backed it. Then he said he didn't then there was another u turn and ultimately he did yeah. uh, to for the for Sarah Huckabee Sanders to uh, deny that is confusing or to describe it as ridiculous to call that confusing is uh, bizarre, Yeah she
1: said me. the premise of your question is ridiculous she was downright insulting and then she right. said I'm sorry you were confused I wasn't right <laughs> Well I mean when when the white house says one thing one one evening and then the opposite thing the next morning and then they send the White House Chief of Staff up to Congress to say which is the real position. Right. That is confusing. Absolutely. I mean,
5: Absolutely. there's
1: no way, no way around it. Right?
5: No, and of course, the the most confusing Trump tweet in the midst of that, uh, where he was saying that it what he had previously supported was then a bad deal, uh, that tweet appears to have been spurred by a, a segment on one of his favorite morning shows, I think, where a... a, a legal oh, yeah. analysts suggest Oh no, that, No, no.
1: no yeah. doubt, no doubt. I mean, in fact, uh, Donald Trump's suite quotes verbatim the Fox and Friends headline, and it was Judge Andrew Napolitano, mm-hmm. libertarian, who was saying, by the way, correctly, I believe, there mm-hmm. are, there should be, there's some civil libertarian issues sure. that are raised by just the blanket reauthorization of the FISA program. Okay. Um, Donald Trump, however, said, he, the problem he, ha- pardon me, he has with it is, Oh, this is what they used to spy on me right. at Trump Tower, a claim that he made right after the election, which has never been proven. Right. I mean, no evidence at all of that mm-hmm. claim. Absolutely. But he, he continues to make it.
5: And, and uh, I mean, not mm-hmm. to get too deep into the weeds of security policy, but my understanding is that even that premise or that unverified allegation is based on a misunderstanding of what section... Seven zero two, which oh. is the most controversial one, Dollars, right. which right. Is, so it, it pertains to whether foreign nationals are in the U.S. or, or overseas. Right.
1: So they did reauthorize the bill. The White House finally got its uh, stuff together, if you will, uh, and then uh, now uh, something else happened yesterday on the immigration front, um, where uh, the president uh, calls in uh, Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin, and he invites a couple of other uh, members of Congress. They'll talk about um, immigration and whether they can make a deal to keep the government running and take care of the dreamers. And these legislators point out to him, um, well, Mr. President, you know, there's some people, some countries, because they're so dangerous uh, that we've given protected status to citizens from those countries. And those countries include Haiti, uh, El Salvador, uh, and uh, certain African countries. Uh, The president's response, according to those people who were in the meeting, I'll say it so you don't have to. I'm quoting the president of the United States, who said, why do we need people from those shithole countries?
3: We need more people from Norway. By the way, I have to point out, the president did tweet about this this morning. Uh Uh, He says, the language used by me at the DACA meeting was tough, but this was not the language used. So he's denying it. Uh-huh. Uh What was really tough was the outlandish proposal made. A big setback for DACA. Mm-hmm. So that's the official uh, denial from Donald Trump via Twitter.
1: Yes, but uh, more than one participant in that meeting have quoted him word for word. Who, who do you believe? As to what he said. <laughs> who do you believe? Yeah, exactly. But I guess my question now is, first of all, this comment, these comments, don't make it any easier to get an immigration deal.
5: No, they don't. They, they complicate the whole thing quite significantly. I mean, the, the basic setup or the basic assumption in Congress is that there will, to, in order to get some protections on DACA, Democrats will have to make some kind of concession in terms of whether it's border security or something else. Now, that is a difficult sell to the Democratic base as it is. It was a diff- difficult sell 24 hours ago. Now, for Democrats to say, well, we're going to make some concessions on uh, immigration or in border security to a president whom a very large swath of their base now considers racist, uh, and, you know, with uh, citing those comments, the the base isn't going to be happy about that, I would imagine, and it's going to be much more difficult to reach a deal.
1: Well, when you have um, a man by the name of Donald Trump who um, was sued by the Justice Department for not renting to African Americans, mm. uh, who, um, s- even after they were found not guilty, accused the five Central Park teenagers of rape and said they should have been mm-hmm. uh, given a death penalty or whatever right. for that, uh, called the NFL players, 95% of whom are African Americans, sons of bitches, right? Mm-hmm. We know after Charlottesville said there are some very fine people among the KKK, Mm -hmm. uh, who led the birther movement denying the legitimacy of the first African-American president for five years, and now who says basically, who comes out against any immigrants who are black, brown, or black or brown, Mm -hmm. and saying we really prefer people who are white coming here. Mm -hmm. It makes a pretty strong case that this guy has some problems with people of color, if not being an outright racist, doesn't it?
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of those comments are hugely problematic. I think the Charlottesville controversy crystallized those issues for many people to describe very fine people on both sides when Mm -hmm. one of those sides is comprised of outright racists and neo-Nazis and other extreme right-wing figures uh, is a problem. Some of the other issues that you've already mentioned, plus the further uh, Issue of, for example, calling for uh, an outright ban on Muslims during the campaign, enacting the travel ban, Um, lest we forget, when Donald Trump uh, first launched his campaign in that speech in Trump Tower in June 2015, he described um, immigrants as, uh, well, he said that Mexico was sending rapists over yeah. the board of the United States so you put uh, those things together and I think it's no surprise why uh, so many people are very um, well believe that Donald Trump holds some noxious beliefs
1: uh, this morning Niall Stanage with us from The Hill thehill.com um, uh, I always mention The Hill as such an outstanding publication one of the reasons is because they publish my column <laughs> <laughs> every Tuesday just kidding no really best source mm-hmm. of information on what's happening in Washington across the board, The Hill. dot com, uh, and you also have that great uh, um, Kate Martell was in the other day. Yes, the great twelve thirty report, which uh, I think is very, very, very
5: good. absolutely. And Kate writes it very well, and she's a she's a great uh, young reporter. So we're we're uh, happy to have her.
1: All right. N- so now we have a new flap uh, with the White House uh, uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, he was going to he's going to go to Europe next month, and he's going to stop in London. Uh, He was going to open, cut the ribbon for the new embassy uh, in in London. Uh, The White House has said now the president is not going to stop in London. Uh, And he tweeted out this morning, uh, if we can all find it here, the reason I'm not going... I can't, the reason I canceled my trip to London is that I am not a big fan of the Obama administration having sold perhaps the best located and finest embassy in London for peanuts. So he's blaming his not going to London on Barack Obama. He's so pissed off at Barack Obama for selling the old embassy for peanuts that he's canceled his trip uh, to London, hmm. uh, as other people have already pointed out. That decision not to retrofit the old embassy because they said it was impossible to retrofit the old embassy for the necessary security measures they need to put in embassies today. And they're rebuilding embassies mm-hmm. all around the world because of the threat of ISIS and, and, and terrorism in general. Uh, they couldn't do it in London. So that's why they decided to build a new embassy, a decision that was made in 2008 by George W. Bush. Indeed.
5: What is it with this White House, <laughs> Nile? again?
4: <laughs> Does I the mean,
5: president consult anybody before he tweets? Obviously it, not. It would appear not. I mean, I think one of the extraordinary <laughs> things about this presidency is the disregard for facts. Whenever I saw that tweet come out, it took me approximately... 60 seconds of googling to find the official announcement from the US embassy in London in 2000 in October 2008 So
3: tell, tell me more about these secret sources you use now. Right? Google I'm not sure yeah. if I'm familiar. I don't know Mr. Google.
5: Maybe it's not available to the president of the United States. Especially classified information that only I have access to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's
5: it. But, I mean, it's it's such a bizarre thing to say. And, of course, everyone can surmise the real reason why Donald Trump is What is it? He's not at all popular there. Um, I mean, I wrote about this whenever there was the controversy that your listeners may remember about him retweeting a very far-right activist in Britain in uh, late late November. Um, Polling on Donald Trump is sporadic in Britain because we don't generally poll people from uh, leaders of other countries. But there was one poll showing him with six... 16%, 16, 16%, percent percent approval in Britain. Mm-hmm. There was another poll done in October where people were asked, would you accept an invite from X, Y, or Z world leaders to their place? Mm-hmm. And I believe it was 56% of Britons wouldn't even accept an invite to come to the White House from Donald Trump.
1: So Whoa, whoa. Um,
5: would the Queen see him if he went there? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, If it were a state visit, I think she would, but I I'm, can't imagine that that is a meeting that... Uh, I'm not. I'm not an expert on Buckingham Palace, but that yeah. doesn't seem to me to be something that they but would. it
1: would be look. awkward for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. when when the the latest terrorism incident in in, in London, and he basically blasted mm-hmm. the London uh, law enforcement authorities for being so lax and everything, and and the Prime Minister came out and said, mm-hmm. you know, come on. You know, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's amazing. He's pissed her off. He's pissed Mm -hmm. everybody off there.
5: Yeah, and it's an amazing situation, given that the United Kingdom is one of the Mm -hmm. United States' most (laughs) stalwart allies, traditionally. And for people to come out, including the Prime Minister, to criticize him as uh, emphatically as they have done is is remarkable.
1: So... um I don't know whether the Hill is uh, hiring these days or has any positions uh, open, but it looks like Steve Bannon's out of a job. <laughs>
5: it does indeed. Oh, has he's he been of... knocking on your door? <laughs> he hasn't yet, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if he's making the rounds or not. Um, he's kind of how a... the mighty have fallen. He's Sort huh? of a, a general without an army at the moment, right? He, I mean, Bannon styles himself as a—he
1: always was a general without an army. Well, he never had an army. Maybe so. Remember Stalin asked one time, "How many legions uh-huh. does the Pope have, or something like <laughs> right, that? Right. Right. Or how many battalions does the Pope have? Well, how many battalions is Steve
5: Bannon?" None. <laughs> right. I mean, I think you know Breitbart <laughs> was on the right and influential, and is on the right and influential. Uh, yes. uh, publication or uh, website, and that was the the locus of Bannon's perceived power. But that power has diminished with great rapidity, and um, and almost in, in completely vanished. It would appear. Yeah.
1: He lost his White House job. Uh, he lost his um, uh, Sirius XM job. Uh, and now he's lost his Breitbart job,
5: mm.
1: all because of this interview that he gave to Michael Wolff. You've got to ask what was in his head giving that interview to Michael Wolff. Anyhow, I mean he he knew it wasn't
5: going to make mm. Trump or Trumpers happy. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know is the short answer to describe a meeting as treacherous when it involved uh, the president's eldest son and the president's yeah. son-in-law and the then campaign chairman of the Trump campaign is a, a very bizarre decision. Now, that's not to make any judgment on whether, in fact, you could see that meeting as treacherous or not. point Steve Bannon to say it is an almost inexplicable uh, decision. Now, we know, of course, that he has... Uh, there's very little love lost between him and Jared Kushner in particular. But even so to assume that you can say that kind of thing to a uh, journalist and author and that it is not going to have um, negative effects on your standing within the conservative world is a very peculiar decision.
1: The thing that got me about the whole Steve Bannon thing is I never bought, I personally Mm. never bought into the idea that Steve Bannon Bannon was such a power to begin with. If you look, really he spent a little time on Wall Street Mm. Failure, spent a little time in Hollywood, no big success there either, and then he gets into the Trump campaign. But after Trump had already won the nomination, mm-hmm. so he can't claim credit for that. Mm-hmm. And he gets to the White House, loses, gets in, a, you know, um, close to Trump, but not close to, as you point out to other people there. Mm-hmm. He gets booted out of the White House, and then he hooks up with Roy Moore. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like, if if you compare. His, what he actually did in response to his um, claim that he was going to remake the Republican Party mm. to a guy like Karl Rove, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, Karl Rove did mm-hmm. rebuild the Republican Party through his red map th- the program and everything. Mm-hmm.
5: Steve Bannon didn't accomplish anything. Yeah, and I think even a lot of Republicans would agree with that. I mean, particularly after the loss in Alabama, there was a lot of commentary from more quote-unquote establishment Republicans making fun of Steve Bannon's claims about himself because he yeah. backed a candidate who lost in one of the most conservative states in the nation.
1: Right. And, he, and his his, his um, claim was he was going to have these um, non-establishment, you know, um, kind of revolutionary candidates to take on the Republican establishment, particularly to dethrone Mitch McConnell, mm-hmm. like, all over the country, like, well, again, where are they? What are the resources behind them? Who are they? I mean, who's it going to be next? Joe Arpaio, you know,
5: right? And
1: now, now he's it's just a general without an army. He's just a big mouth.
5: Mm. But, yeah, and, and and the the danger I think for Republicans was the capacity for him to back candidates who might have a chance of being successful in party primaries and you would be back into what even more moderate Republicans fear would be a rerun of cycles in 2010 and 2012 when they put up um, extreme candidates in winnable races and lost those races. Right.
1: Uh, So the president's going back to uh, Palm Beach, back to Mar-a-Lago today. Before he does, he's going to stop by Walter Reed Army Hospital out in Bethesda and get his physical... So uh, what are we going to know by the end of the day about the president's mental capacity?
5: Not... Very much, one way or another, because as I understand it, mental capacity will very much not be a part of this physical. It will be a physical, physical, so physical, to speak. Physical, um, right. And uh, I assume we'll learn what his weight is. What uh, previously p- doctors have released information about people's chole- president's cholesterol levels and things of that nature. But the debate that was uh, sparked, yeah, go ahead. No, go no. Ahead. no well, the debate that. that was sparked or inflamed by the Wolf book about his mental capacity. Uh, will not be, <clears throat> excuse me, um, affected, or we, we won't know anything else on that score. Because he's
1: not going to do that part of the exam. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, on the physical side, uh, we were told yesterday by Sarah Huckabee Sanders that tomorrow, uh, today, uh, we'll get a very brief read on, you know, good health, whatever, and that on Tuesday we'll get a more uh, f- a fuller readout exactly of what the... Mm-hmm the lab test show or whatever i'm I'll be willing to bet you that they will not tell us what he weighs
5: i th- yes I, you're prob- that's probably a good point they they given that his of his general sort of vanity really it seems unlikely i mean he's an, yeah. an overweight person i think we can say that without being overly partisan right he's i too- think we can yeah yeah so right. he's probably not going to uh, i
1: think uh, he hides it well mm. um he, i don't know whether his his Taylor is Omar the Tent Maker or whatever, but uh, (laughs) but uh, uh, but you know, but he dresses in a way that doesn't. But he's a big man. He is. I'll say this: they will not release his weight.
3: No, they won't. I'll say this: this is something that I that I learned uh, a a long time ago. Once you look at his tie, you'll never look at him the same way again because he does the classic large man thing of tying his tie very very long. Right. It's an optical illusion. I don't ask me how I know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, now Stanley's with us as a friend of Bill. We're just getting started on all the exciting uh, news of the day. We haven't even talked about Oprah yet. Uh, Elena Schneider joins us, campaign reporter from Politico, for the next half hour. Quick break. We'll be right back.
3: Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. You bet.
1: What do you say, folks? It is a Friday, January twelfth. Ready for the weekend? Not quite. About another half an hour to go before we let you go into the weekend. Great to see you on this uh, Friday. Thanks so much for joining us. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where we're brought to you today by the good men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Uh, under the leadership of Mark Perone, they are building a better life for hardworking men and women everywhere. Uh, the UFCW is a union that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families. Check out their website at UFCW.org. Thank them for the good work. Thank them for the support of the program. Uh, Niall Stanage is here with us this hour as a friend of Bill, and we welcome... To the table, to our conversation, campaign reporter for Politico, Elena Schneider. Hi, Elena. Nice to see you.
6: Nice to see you, too.
1: We were talking a little bit earlier about the immigration debate. Uh, It has stepped up yet another dimension this morning. Uh, Whether or not we're going to be able to help the Dreamers is the issue. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting just a couple of uh, minutes ago about the Dreamers. He said that uh, the the language—whoa, whoa, 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 here we go— Oh, come on, Donald Trump. The dem. oh help me out here. Okay, so where Where, are we going from here? Well, he's he's blaming—pitting the Dreamers against the military. Sadly, sadly, Democrats want to stop paying our troops and government workers in order to give a sweetheart deal, not a fair deal, for DACA. Take care of the military and our country first. This is a new dimension, right? It's mm. the dreamers versus the military.
2: Mm.
1: And the, and, uh, the go- Democrats want to shut everything down, and they want to uh, help the dreamers as opposed to helping the military, which is really, again, not trying to get too partisan,
5: but that's not the debate. It's not, but it's something that I've heard Republicans, in addition to the president, talk about increasingly in the recent but days. But how many times
1: can they increase the military budget? They've already done so. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the biggest it's ever been, I think.
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to make the uh, Republican case no, for them, but no. I'm saying that it's something that they're arguing or trying to put forth as a, you know, to win the. Battle for public opinion, presumably.
6: And, of course, any any effort to claim that shutting down the government is the fault of Democrats falls a little flat when Republicans control every lever of power in, in D.C. at the moment.
5: Right.
1: I mean, there is there is a government shutdown, right, it will be because a Republican House and a Republican Senate vote, or one, one or the other, to shut down the government. Republican-controlled House or Senate, exactly. Uh, so, Elena, speaking about Republicans in the Congress... Um, there are more and more of them saying, hey, I want to get out of here. I've had it. I'm gone. Uh, particularly, how many Republicans now in 29, is it? or twenty? 20- so
6: there are 29 open seats in the 2018 general election. There are three more, so 31 who have actually left because, so we've got three more that are uh, resignation. So they'll be filled by special elections in the next couple of months, weeks oh, and I months. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's why we, 29 for 2018. Uh, for those general elections that will be open. How
1: many do you know? How many of those open seats have w- or are in districts that were carried by Hillary Clinton?
6: Oh off the top of my head, I probably not more than I think uh, I think there are four. Uh, yeah, there are four Clinton held Clinton won districts held by Republicans. How many of
1: them are competitive?
6: Competitive, I would say a dozen at least. Uh, depending on how big the wave is, I think that uh, you would one would argue that um, I mean it, it goes all the way up into basically R plus ten. So that's sort of the margin in which Republicans typically have an advantage in a seat. And in an R plus ten, in a wave that can go under. So that's what that's why I'm putting the sort of dozen mark there. Um, but there's a lot more than on the Democratic side. There also have been exits on the Democratic side. Three of them are in Trump-held districts. Um, or excuse me, in in Democrat-held districts that Trump won, and uh, but there are not nearly as many of them.
1: Right. So now you can see why Democrats are feeling maybe a little more bullish about mm-hmm. taking the House back in in 2018.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I think that Donald Trump clearly weighs on a lot of Republicans in competitive districts and some um, retiring Republican lawmakers have said as much if, as Elena points out, if there's a wave election then you know obviously seats that might have previously be considered safe suddenly become uh, not safe and when we say and Elena knows more about this than I do but resignations or announcements of retirement from people like Darrell Issa who had previously been quite emphatic that he was running again, I think point to people see in what way the political winds are blowing, and they're blowing in a very hostile manner for Republicans.
1: Well, as former Democratic Chair of California, I know those those districts pretty well. I mean, Darrell Issa's district was always considered a safe Republican district. It's North San Diego County, the same with Ed Royce in Southern Orange County. And the two of them now have retired, announced they're not going to run again. And Issa almost lost his district Last time, that's right. Half was a percentage f- point, yeah. Or it was something. like
6: fifteen hundred votes or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Um, so, and and the landscape, the, the the history is such that generally, in the first midterms of any administration, the party in power loses seats in Congress. Oh, absolutely. If not loses control, they lose seats.
3: I right? think it's nice a- to know that there are still some things that are traditional here in Washington. Yeah, <laughs> nice can still to know. count on that.
6: I think it, I, I think it's in my piece. I don't remember it quite off the top of my head. I think it's something like uh, two dozen or three dozen maybe seats that are traditionally lost and have been lost um, in the first midterm year of a president for a president's party since going back to World War II, basically. With the one exception being in. Uh, in 2002, after the September 11th attacks, in which Republicans did in fact pick up seats, uh, so yeah, so the not only is it it's, is it history and precedent on Democrat side in this situation, we've also got reams of polling, which, granted, depending on how. How uh, how much stock you put in those at the moment that shows Democrats with double digit leads on the generic ballot, which is, you know, asking voters, who do you prefer, a, a Republican or sometimes even their named incumbent versus any Democrat off the street. And Democrats have a double digit lead. And those are all indicators that it's not looking great for Republicans. And certainly for both Royce and Isa, one could argue and Republicans do argue that they're leaving because they're both longtime members. They've gotten tax reform done, and they both are no longer going to be. They're termed out as chairman. Which you know, as a as a member of the House, if you're not a chairman and you've been there a long time, there's not really a reason to be there anymore. So that's a fair argument to be to be made. But at the same time, they could have gone on to other chairmanships, and it's very clear that they both see the writing on the wall and their and their seats have have changed underneath them. And and what's most important is that in these situations, Royce is somebody who was an incredibly good. Constituent services person. He really did actually. He was a very good campaigner, and and now with it being open and not only being open, not having a lot of time for somebody to come in and really build an infrastructure, it leaves them incredibly vulnerable in these places that are that are very expensive.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are other other districts uh, that are considered now certainly competitive: Charlie Dent in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, Frankly Lobiando in in New, uh, Jersey, in New Jersey. Who they
6: really have not recruited someone to run in that seat, a, a good qualified Republican. Which is also very striking. Um, and Dave Reichert, seat in Washington. Uh, uh, Ileana Ross Letton in in Florida. That one's basically long gone mm-hmm. at this point. So there there are a number where they're going to be long
1: gone in the sense of uh, looks like a Democrat will they'll take that seat. It's
6: just such a heavily uh, you know it voted for Clinton I think by nearly ten points. Uh, Ileana, was a was a, like Royce was an incredibly good uh, person in her district. Yes. Everyone just yeah. loved her. Um, so I think it, she was specifically uh, sort of special for that or unique in that sense. And uh, and Republicans are, are basically conceding that one already.
1: If Republicans feel better about the House, is there any reason now they should feel – I'm sorry. If Democrats feel better about perhaps taking the House, is there any reason Democrats should feel better about the Senate?
5: Well, I mean, in the sense Not that... Not as many, maybe, huh? Yeah, it's the the problem in the Senate is simply that the, the, the political battlefield is nowhere near as favourable for Democrats. I mean, they have to defend many more seats, including in states that uh, Donald Trump won by significant margins in the 2016 election. Now, obviously, there's an argument that a political tide can lift all boats. I mean, the Democrats do believe they have a shot at taking the Senate, which a year ago when Donald Trump was being inaugurated, they wouldn't have thought would be feasible at all. Um, I mean, they certainly wouldn't have thought they would have a seat in Alabama for a start. So that's yeah, right. one <laughs> difference to the to the math. Um, you know, Arizona is obviously a state that they're looking at very closely. So it's within the bounds of possibility that Democrats could take the Senate. But I think that the more... Well, the easier lift, still a significant lift, but the easier lift is uh, the house. What is they,
1: it? Only do they need how many in the Senate? Four or
6: how many do they need no. in the oh, Senate? No, that's right, three. Three, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and well, and
6: they got really good news yesterday when Kevin Kramer decided to not <clears throat> run. I was just for, going to
1: ask you about that. Yeah, right.
6: which was huge. I mean, I was uh, really. Uh,
1: uh, uh, we all know, but okay. let's make sure we uh, Kevin Kramer
6: who was a congressman from South Dakota who was, uh, or excuse me, North, North Dakota, Dakota. Um, who was long expected. And again, I don't cover the Senate, so uh, I'm less familiar sort of the, <laughs> of the negotiations there. But he was he was being uh, heavily recruited by Pre- President Trump directly. Uh, he was constantly on the phone with him uh, about r- running against uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp in a, in a state that Trump won by more. I think who it was is, more than 20 points.
1: Yes. And she is considered one of the more vulnerable Democrats. Absolutely.
6: Absolutely. Um, um, based simply on atmospherics yeah. uh, and the reality of, of her state. No, good
1: person, good senator, but it, uh, it's a tough state.
6: Right, exactly. And so uh, Republicans got dealt a, another huge blow when Kevin Kramer, this congressman, decided that he was not going to run for Senate, that he was going to simply run for re-election as a congressman and uh, and hold his fire for, her, for higher office for another year, which is about as telling as you can get as to how, you know, it's even more so arguably than maybe even Royce or Isa, as to how difficult Republicans are sort of preparing themselves for for this for this year.
1: So Donald Trump had tried to persuade Congressman Kramer to run mm-hmm. against Heidi Heitkamp personally had. had,
6: had oh, yes, persuaded. absolutely. Personally, uh,
1: he also personally uh, tried to persuade Orrin Hatch to run for reelection. It took him out to uh, Utah with him uh, famously praised the hell out of him at that one event. Uh, because he didn't want Mitt Romney <laughs> to to run uh, and become the next senator from uh, from Utah, uh, that didn't work out too well, did it? No, it no. didn't.
5: And it's uh, something that I think will concern President Trump and people close to him. The issue is not just uh, perhaps a distaste that he may have for Romney. The idea is that Romney's political ambitions may not end uh, at the Senate and that he also is somebody who does have um, legitimate standing in the Republican Party as a previous nominee and as someone who's been around for a long time to criticise President Trump and to be a kind of uh, emblem of a different kind of republicanism or conservatism. I think that's really what concerns Trump and the people around him so much.
1: Well, he, we, we can't forget the speech during the campaign that Mitt Romney, mm. still, I think, the most negative speech that anybody, Democrat or Republican, gave against about Donald mm. Trump. I mean, he, he called him every name in the Phony, a fraud. Yeah, con yeah. man, yeah. yeah. Right, in that speech. Right, I was amazed how strong it was because it wasn't Mitt Romney's style. Right. It was almost a Donald Trump style Mm-hmm. that he used uh, in that speech. But, uh, Elena, we haven't heard from him yet.
6: From Romney? I I, I mean, officially we have not. Officially heard. we have not. Um, and we sort of don't need to um, because there's no real need for him to announce until the last minute because we've seen in in several polls and and just also um the knowledge of of utah's estate they adore him there um he did very well there in 2012 when he ran for president polling shows that he's somewhere i believe in like the high in in maybe the mid-70s as far as people interested in, in wanting to vote for him and he's he's personally wealthy and also there will be national money so there's not really reason for him to jump in quite yet
1: well i'll tell you one thing if if he does it will be one of the most uh incredible hat tricks I think in American political history because he's from Michigan he's former governor of Massachusetts, <laughs> he runs the Olympics in Utah uh-huh. and then he becomes senator from Utah and he has a house in la jolla california i mean and and a house in New Hampshire <laughs> what, what the hell he's just it
5: pops up anywhere and everywhere right. He has many home states. It's a rather <laughs> peculiar situation, but I guess if you're a multi-multi millionaire, then you have these capacities.
1: But, but you're right. The people of Utah, from what we've seen, the people mm-hmm. of Utah do not consider him a carpetbagger. Or, no,
6: not at all. I think him no. being from, I think being Mormon makes a huge difference. Um, yeah. I think his connection to the to the church is why he is he has such a connection to that state and to those voters.
1: Right. Okay. Um, now we haven't talked about the most exciting candidate of all, right? And you've written about her; you must have too. Uh, the Oprah buzz—it was—it was the buzz Monday. Is it still the buzz today? No,
5: I think it has. Friday, been, I think it has been supplanted by the many controversies we've had in the past forty-eight or seventy-two hours out
1: of the, out of the White House. Huh?
5: But I also uh, do think—I mean, Oprah Winfrey is such a huge cultural figure and for completely legitimate reasons that, I, you know, it's understandable that people would be excited by the idea of her running. She has sent conflicting signals as to whether she might run or not. The, The interesting thing to me is whether Democrats do think well, maybe a celebrity going against Trump would be a good thing or whether they look at Donald Trump who they obviously loathe and say, this means we shouldn't have a celebrity, we should have someone immersed in governmental experience, which obviously wouldn't be good for Oprah. What do you think, Elaine? I,
6: I think what's been interesting is to see some of the reaction, to of the frustration of, of uh, um, my colleague Annie Carney wrote about uh, some some disappointment that the Clinton campaign felt of sort of like, well, where was Oprah Two years ago, you know, she sort of casually (laughs) endorsed uh, Hillary Clinton, um, I think, in an interview, but basically didn't do much beyond that, even though she did a huge amount for for President Obama. And it's not to say that she didn't support her, but she clearly, you know, did a little more quietly. Um, So I think that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of lingering resentment, at least within people who work in politics about the way that she handled that. But. You know, that's why we have primaries to sort of sort out who who voters think are going to, you know, go up best against it. And I do think that um, you make an excellent point of sort of what kind of person that will be. And uh, Oprah certainly presents the uh, sort of quintessential celebrity uh, wealthy contrast, uh, especially one who, who has made her brand about optimism as opposed to Trump, whose brand was about, you know, you're fired. Um, you can't really get more of a stark contrast than that.
1: Right. Oh, there's no doubt from a talk show host point of view (laughs) or from a political reporter's point of view, it would be a dream in heaven, right? I mean, to have the two TV celebrities, right, the two billionaires mano a mano in 2020 would be would be certainly something like uh, we've never seen before. Um, But um, the question, too, is I mean, there's so many questions about her candidacy. What kind of a Democrat is she? I mean, the big debate among the Democratic Party, do we want, for 2020, do Democrats want a Bernie Sanders populist or another Hillary Clinton centrist?
5: Well, where's Oprah? Do we know? Nobody knows. No, No, seriously. No, it is true. And, I mean, people who have written and thought seriously about Oprah Winfrey have made the criticism that her show though it is very optimistic it is about encouraging people to you know live your yep. best life and all that. The criticism of Oprah from the left has been that she ignores kind of structural inequalities and that it's all about personal responsibility, having the capacity to deliver all sorts of dividends. So I don't know much about what her political beliefs actually are. Just very briefly to pick up on a point of Elena's, I was actually in Iowa the first time she appeared on the campaign trail for Obama in 2008. Uh And the uh, vigor with which she was implicitly critical of Hillary Clinton at that time Mm. was quite striking. My recollection is she didn't mention Clinton by name, but she certainly very much endorsed Obama's argument then, which was a kind of insurgent or anti-establishment argument.
1: And so, Elena, it's not like the Democratic Party is without potential candidates in 2020. No. (laughs) In fact, there's a surfeit of them, if you will.
6: We already have a congressman running, John Delaney. He's been spending all his time out Mm -hmm. in Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. A former con- congressman, I should say,
1: uh, from, not to mention Tim Ryan, uh, uh, and then you go through the list of senators, right? Right, uh, and, 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 then, governors and and governors and governors. <laughs> I mean, we've been joking here on the staff that unlike the Republicans, we won't have to have a varsity and a JV. We'll have to have a varsity and a JV and a eighth grade debate, <laughs> maybe you know, <laughs> three stages instead of just two. A three with ring circus. A three ring circus, right? With all the Democrats who who are running next time, but all of them jokes aside are people who are serious people I mean on mm-hmm. we know their position on the issues they've been governor they've been senator they've been member of Congress they have dealt with public policy issues they probably know what the nuclear triad is we're again we're not sure of uh, uh, Oprah on any of these issues
6: well and I would actually uh remind your you know your listeners too that what was striking um when we were writing about uh the labor secretary uh I'm forgetting his first name Puzder he wasn't labor oh, yeah. secretary andy. yet um, Andy. andy, andy. andy. Yeah. he um he's not labor secretary because he ultimately uh, pulled back his name because of our reporting about uh his wife and allegations about abuse and and part of that came out because his wife appeared, or his ex wife appeared on the Oprah show, <sighs> and Oprah refused to release the tape to us. So we had to go and find, you know, our our reporter was incredible and 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 found a, a VHS recording in someone's basement, basically. But but Oprah refused to release that tape. So it is a, it is interesting to sort of draw, you know, I don't I don't know what. Necessarily, you can draw from that whether or not she didn't want to rock the vote, whether vote or yeah. you know she didn't feel it was her right or responsibility to do it, but um that's an another interesting sort of political decision that she made even just <laughs> a couple of months ago.
1: Just a, a final button on this i uh, my weekly column for Chicago Tribune um today is on the Oprah thing mm-hmm. Peter, we have to tweet out that column which we yep, all we'll where out later. I took the position uh the answer to one celebrity president is not to elect another celebrity president. Uh, so the Oprah bandwagon may be rolling, but I'm not jumping on. Uh, and I was ready for just to get hammered.
5: Particularly uh, in Chicago,
1: I assume. <laughs> but so far, uh, the emails that I've had a chance to look at this morning, everybody who's responded has said, I agree with you, I agree with you. I agree. I'm surprised. I expected to get more flack on that. But I, 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 I want to move on to one final uh, political issue, which is a big decision, didn't get much attention out of North Carolina this week you have written about it yes. on reapportionment. Uh,
6: this if this actually goes through, um, I may need to move home to North Carolina to be <laughs> able to, to to just sit there and cover it. Or so no how about to
1: run? <laughs>
6: <laughs> Definitely not that. Um, no so uh, North Carolina has for the last decade uh, since they redrew the maps and after the 2010 census has consistently had issues with, with their maps. Um, so at first it was about illegally um, um, using race to draw the lines, um, and this is a Republican-controlled legislature, and uh, and so that map was thrown out uh, in 2016. They redrew another one, which mm-hmm. forced uh, a member-on-member primary against George Holding. Renee Elmer's Renee Elmer's is now no longer in Congress because of this. So we had this new map, and then um, and I'm now. There's so many lawsuits that I don't want to mislead everyone, but what we're dealing with now is that basically the map that they used in 2016, they have uh, a a three-judge federal panel has said that they illegally used partisan gerrymandering, so people's partisanship, their party affiliation. Short on time. So they have to draw a new map. So they have to draw a new map. Republican legislature has asked for a stay from the Supreme Court, which is... Is pretty possible that they'll actually grant it.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, so just about now, that, this, this is a big issue, and it's not just in North Carolina.
5: Right? No, and it, absolutely. And uh, gerrymandering has been a big issue for a significant period of time in American politics. People obviously blame gerrymandering for some of the polarization that we've seen. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. With well, the courts uh, in state after state, maybe throwing out some of these uh, Republican drawn districts. That, again, might help Democratic chances.
6: And if that happens, Democrats could pick up three or four seats in North
2: Carolina. In
1: North Carolina, wow. What a great conversation. Elena, thanks. Good to see you. Thanks, Niall.
2: Have a great weekend, everybody.